It's a few days later, but we are still talking about that classic Clemson-Alabama game. Coaching carousel news, especially at the coordinator ranks, is all going on. We are going to talk about all of it and answer your emails on this episode of The Audible. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, it's nice to be doing this at a normal hour. Yeah, what is that a reference to doing it at 4 a.m. while I pack to get to make my escape out of uh, out of Tampa? Yeah, I listened to it, and I got to tell you, we did okay until about the last five minutes. At which point, we are—you can hear us dragging. Yeah, I had that um, two nights ago. So on my, you know, from there I go right to Nashville, and I get to the coaches' convention. I like take a big cup, you know, gulp, you know of coffee and I feel like I'm going pretty good. And I was like kind of in and out and I was like, my goal is to make it to midnight and somewhere around 11 o'clock. I think I was just like, basically felt like I was a zombie walking around and that's never a good thing. Cause you feel like you're doing better and other people are like, you're a little off right now, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. So I was not doing so well until last night. So getting some sleep and it's Thursday morning now, I'm feeling better. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of buzzing even though it's been three days. Uh, the game was three days ago now. Um, I go back and forth. Uh, you talked me out the other night. You talked me out of calling it the best title game that I've covered. That it was still Texas USC. In fact, you were kind of a downer on that podcast. I didn't mean but, to uh, be. I was just kind of incredulous that you spun around to that position so quickly. Just because, I, like I said, I thought the first half of that game was not a was not you know was sloppy. There was I don't know. It just didn't feel like what we were talking about there. And then it obviously picked up late in the third quarter and certainly in the fourth quarter. Well, I don't know. I'm still, I'm torn. I I now, I'm now considering them tied. What I would like to do is when I have the chance and God knows when this will be to go back and watch both of them and try, because there's no question that, you know, the, the, the backdrop to, and the lead up to the Texas USC game was more, uh, I mean, it was more built up. Many more people watched it. Yeah, can, uh, I, can we, instead of like, you know, kind of poking at that pinata, can I ask you a couple other things to to maybe center you or, or maybe get you a little more focused in? So I'm going to ask you two or three things, and you, maybe this will help. Okay. The first one is, for me, I thought Texas beating USC was a bigger, felt like a bigger upset than Clemson beating Alabama. Here's why. First of all, Clemson almost beat Alabama last year, and that was without Mike Williams. Second of all, USC had a much bigger run, you know, it was, well, it was 34 games as opposed to, I guess, 26. And that USC team was loaded with stars and star power. And while, while Alabama was a terrific team, I didn't feel like Alabama was like an all-time great kind of team. So that had those factors. And then I want to ask you one, one other point, which is maybe a secondary point, but let me get your thoughts on that part of it. I would agree with all of that. So it didn't feel like that. I mean, I, we both picked Clemson to win. I don't think it was. I picked sh- Texas to win and to beat USC. It was one of my all-time oh, I didn't know that. predictions. I did not yeah. know that. Um, no, there's no question. That, was, that seemed like a bigger upset. By the way, did you see that Vegas took a bath? on the Clemson, absolute drilling on the Clemson-Alabama game because people kept jumping on the Clemson bandwagon and Vegas held firm to the Bama, I think it was six and a half. So 
um, people loaded up on Clemson and, and they did not do so well. They also, I think a lot of people took the over. So yeah. Um, no, I agree with you on that. What was the second point? The second point, and this is a, this is more the nerdy stuff that I feel like I kind of get caught up in a little more on Twitter than I ever would have, you know, seven or eight years ago. I saw, maybe it was even you, um, tweeted out that the ratings were slightly down even from last year. And I, it was in your mailbag. That's what it was. Yeah. And um, I, I know you pointed out that may, ESM, it maybe part of it has to do with the ES, ESPN subscribers being down. I'm curious as to why you – why do you think – I mean, it was a great game. It was, it, it was certainly a better game than last year, I thought. Um, why are the – why were the numbers down And this? Is it because people didn't want to see the rematch? What, what do you think it There's was? There's a lot of reasons. Um First of all, it wasn't even down that much. It was like 26.7 million down to 26 million. Uh, I do think that when it's two teams from the same part of the country, that doesn't help. You know, I think it's 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 a it's better for the casual fan if it's, you know, Alabama against Ohio State or USC, somebody from another part of the country instead of two teams from the southeast. Um, I don't maybe I mean the rematch seemed like a big storyline to us in the media and to certainly to the players, certainly to Clemson but maybe not so much to the public at large. Uh, and I just think it was such a long game, you know, and uh, and you didn't necessarily know that it was going to be a dramatic finish until halfway through the fourth quarter. So I think they probably lost some viewers that way. I don't know if it got the rest of the country that excited. You know, I think it really is that. Right. I think that, you know, we're in a vacuum. We're down there. We're, we're at the center of the hype, but... Uh, you know, I'm sure that um, people back here in California maybe weren't as fired up for that. I, since I've been back, everybody's been talking about it. But, you know, maybe going into it, there wasn't as much buzz. Um, you know, it, even though it was a great game last year, I guess, you know, kind of like with LSU Alabama, people, for whatever reason, I mean, in other, I feel like in other sports, when there's a rematch in the championship, I mean, if the Warriors play the Cavs again this year, nobody's going to be like, ah, I don't want to see that again. Uh <laughs> You know, in college football, they, we seem to be very rematch averse. I'm not sure why. We got a couple questions about this game in the email that we'll, I just want to address now rather than when we do the other ones. Okay. Um, Andrew Coe from Cupertino, California. How come Dabo's decision to onside kick hasn't gotten more attention? If Bama recovers and completes a Hail Mary, doesn't that go down as one of the biggest gaffes of all time? If you are scared of that return, why not kick it out of bounds and force Hurts to throw it 60-plus yards? I think he's right. Correct. I mean, that, you know, that was very curious. I was like, happened to, you know, I was on the Alabama sideline when that happened. I remember thinking, man, if, if he recovered it at nine yards, you know, you're in a really tricky position right now. I actually kind of thought it was a stroke of genius. Um, because it worked out. Because, you know, it obviously caught them by surprise. We're not talking about like now they'd be set up for a easy play. I mean, you're talking about a Hail Mary and then a long Hail Mary at that. And also, don't I mean? I nobody asked Dab about it after the game because obviously there was so much else going on. But it had to be a little bit of payback for last year, right? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Is that the part you go for payback that way? Is hey, I, I got you. You you know, you guys aren't thoroughly you know thinking of all options. And here I'm going to pull this card out. Maybe one um, second left. We've got the game in hand. And you know, Nick Saban got all this credit for his genius onside kick last year. Let's show that we can do it too. I don't know if that was the case, but possibility. Yeah, it certainly worked out. Um, and look, it, you know, clearly everything about what he's done has been aggressive. And so the fact that uh, you know that would have that would have unfolded that way is is just underscores it that much more.
You want me to go next one? From Evan and Charlotte. Sure. Hi, Stuart and Bruce. Love the show. In your last podcast, you briefly discussed your Mount Rushmore of college football players, which I'd love to hear again after you formally complete it. Considering Deshaun Watson is in that conversation and most of the players mentioned one of Heisman, do you think Deshaun is the best player to never win the Heisman? Um, I have two other names that come right to mind. Actually, three. Um, who would be in your – and I feel like we need to rein this in by saying maybe, you know, since you've been covering it, which would be the last 20 years. Well, yeah, Andrew Luck comes to mind immediately. He seems like a guy who people are going to look back at Marshall and be like, Falk I can't believe he mind. didn't win the Heisman. Marshall Falk yep. comes to mind. Uh, Vince Young certainly comes to mind as soon as you start talking to Sean yep. and, and that part of it. Um, I think what's what's more interesting on 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 uh, this part is, you know, take the Reggie Bush off-field stuff aside – you know, Vince Young lost to a guy who certainly was deserving. This was a bad Heisman race. So the fact that Deshaun didn't win it there, I think, makes it a little, feels a little more I, dubious. I, I think we're playing a little bit of revisionist history with Lamar Jackson. I mean, the guy was absolutely sensational. Did you write a whole for, thing about having buyer's remorse the other day? Yes, but to say that it was a bad Heisman race infers that the Heisman winner wasn't any good. And he was. Uh, he was. He was very... He was electrifying. He had huge games. He just had a bad finish. And I think, as I explained in the mailbag, what happened there was, and I'm guilty of it as anybody, we had just kind of, our, our perceptions of the two had been locked in for so long that it wasn't like people noticed over the last three weeks, hey, he's going in one direction and this guy's going in the other direction. Maybe we should reconsider. And it ended up being kind of a lopsided margin. And, and it's funny because you know, I agree with you. Probably Vince Young is actually should be the very first person on that answer. That was, if I'm not mistaken, the mo- one of, if not the most lopsided Heisman races in history. Like, just like we talked for, what, a month toward the end of the year that Lamar Jackson had such a commanding lead. How could anybody possibly catch him? That's what Reggie Bush was that year. He was so far and away the Heisman winner. And then you go, and then, of course, Vince Young got his payback in the national championship game. And a lot of people now think he should have won it. Mm. I think Michael Vick should have won it in uh, the year he took Virginia Tech to the national championship game. I don't know his redshirt freshman year, that would be. Right. I don't. But he's talking probably more about, uh, you know, Watson had such a distinguished career. And Look, I, I think Adama Sue had a ridiculously, you know. Yeah, again, we're talking. Season. Now you're talking about one dominant season. I mean, I, know, I'm he, sorry, Stu. I hate when people say this. The Heisman is for the best player in that year, it's not a career award. That's correct. And and if we want to go down that road, sure. I mean, you could play that game with, with half the people who've ever won the Heisman. Was there somebody in that year who had a better season? But if the question is just kind of like among the all-time college football greats, I mean, Deshaun Watson will go in the College Football Hall of Fame when he retires from the NFL. Peyton Manning. Good. Uh, if I gave you a four-person Rushmore for your college football uh, reporting time, which is the last 20 years, who would that those four people be? And you can't add six. So that is like a... Oh, come happen. on. Just do it. Come on. For Evan and Charlotte, yes. You do it. 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 All the great players, okay. four people, okay. you do it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do it, and I'll probably be wrong. Um, uh, I'm starting with Cam Newton, which is an easy one for me because I he, he's, the, he's the most dominant player I've ever seen. You know what? I mean, maybe this is recency bias, but I thought... I, Everything about Mariota 
you know, he's one of the best players, and I feel like he's going to get overlooked just statistically. What he did in that system was pretty, pretty amazing. Now he didn't win a national title, right? Um, See, you've already set yourself up for. There's I no know. way you're. I'm already there running out of gas. I'm already running out of gas on this thing. This is like a bad New Year's resolution. I couldn't even. Well, you finish. know, we got eight months to fill for this next like season. A, this is like a bad Tim Brando New Year's resolution. I couldn't even hold it out till January. Till this we've got eight January. months. Uh, we've got eight months to fill before next season. At some point, we will actually sit down and do a for real. We will just you know do the research, do think about it seriously, and give you our Mount Rushmores of college football. All right, so. Oh, I know what I wanted to bring up from the national championship game. I don't know how I forgot to ask. That. Well, I do know how I forgot to ask it. It was right after the game. Um, tell us about your experience playing in a quote-unquote celebrity flag football game. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff about this day, by the way. Uh, so this is literally, I'm in this hotel. It's, I don't know what it was. It was a big room where a bunch of us were playing in the game. Uh, where people were stretching and everything. And here I am. I'm trying to like try to break the... Sonny Dykes is getting fired news while all this is going on. So I'm like talking to Ryan Rosillo, who's trying to like stretch his hamstrings. And, you know, it's just a little bit bizarre how it all played out. And then I was shocked to see how many people were actually, you know, lining the field to watch. We had a we had a very nice crowd of people. So this was on to to be clear. This was a beach, you know, like this part of some of a, like a fan beach fest. Yes, and it was about but, a, an hour south or an, whatever, and it was Clearwater, an hour in some other direction from Tampa. From and it was hotel. an uns, and it was and it was an unbelievably cold day for Tampa. I mean, yes. it was in the I think it was in the 30s when we woke up, and maybe in the low 50s by the time you played the game. Thankfully. Um, it was actually not like once you started running around, you felt fine. So I'll run off the list of names who who actually competed or were there because I'm looking at the press release. John Anderson, Sports Center guy, Matt Barry, he was our quarterback, Sports Center guy. Anthony Beck, 12 year NFL veteran, and still pretty heavy because he tackled me and landed on me. Uh, John Butchigross, Sports Center. Eric Dickerson, I did not see him. Cedric the Entertainer, he was our coach. Uh, I doubt he remembers me. I feel like he was the only one on the list who. Is a non-sport celebrity. Uh, yes, I believe that's the case. Jay Crawford, he's an ESPN host, and I believe he's he worked down in Tampa. Toby Hall, who is a former major league catcher, do you remember him? Mm-hmm. Good. Um, he was the guy I was basically covering most of the day, and he was trying to cover me. So, uh, our friend Brett McMurphy, who is a former Tampa sports writer and now ESPN TV talking head. Ryan Neese, I don't think he played. Kevin Nagandi was on the other team. Jesse Palmer, he was there. Takeo Spikes, Auburn legend and star of Roll Tide War Eagle. He was he played. He was basically our safety. Uh, Sarah Walsh, she was a coach. Sarah's husband is a major league pitcher. He was one of he was actually one of our best players. I think he was our best player. Um, and then there was like you know some random guys. Jimmy Rollins was on our team. Uh, Ryan Howard was on our team. And so anyway, my, the biggest thing is when you're running in sand and you're sprinting, you're stopping, it's like, you know, you're going to be really sore the next day. And so I was kind of a really, really stiff for a couple of days from there, but it was, it was a cool event because it uh, benefited pediatric uh, cancer organization and we got to meet some of the kids. And so I was glad I did it. I was kicking myself for agreeing to do it on the way there, but I was very happy I did it. And it was, you know, a lot of cool people there. Very good. Um, all right. Turn, so coaches convention. Uh, set the scene for us. 
so it was in Nashville at the Gaylord Opry Land, you know, monstrosity. The place is enormous. It's like two cities combined. Um, you know, as I think I've said in years past, you see a ton of coaches from places you may never heard of and logos. You know, I always used to joke, you know, I would see in years past, I would see guys and I'm like, man, that looks like they coach for Whataburger because that's the same logo, you know. And so there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of, you know, I don't know if it's rubbernecking where you're talking to somebody and everybody's kind of looking else to see if they can talk to somebody maybe a little more significant than the person they're, they're talking to. And, uh, but it was, it was good. There was obviously some significant legislation they were kicking around as well on Wednesday. And that had to do with, would they add a 12th coach? I'm sorry, 12th coach, a 10th coach. Would there be an early signing period? Uh, there was, you know, a lot so of that. So that part confuses me a little bit. Mm-hmm. They don't enact those rules. The NCA does. All they can really do, right, is in, is give their is, endorsements. Is kind of like yeah, their unofficial endorsements. And yeah. uh, it's all the the thing about the signing day. I, I could not believe that last year when they announced it, and that was going to be in June before the kids' senior year. That made no sense to anyone. Um, as far as I know, the coaches have never endorsed an early signing date, but in this case, they did endorse the mid-December date. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really happened, um, they initially they had bundled a lot of stuff together, and I, every coach I talked to was like in favor of adding a tenth man. They weren't in f- a ten, tenth coach, but they were not in a lot weren't in favor of you know an early signing period or some of the things. But it was like bundled together, and I was like, why do you have to do that? And they're like, you know, somebody said, well, that's how the presidents and the ads do it, so it's almost like it you know, you got to take the good with the bad. And there were a lot of people that like, that doesn't make, that shouldn't be the way it should, the way it is. Um, and it felt very political, which I guess it was, you know, you, you run into people. It's funny. I had this, this line with a, a guy I know who used to be an assistant and he's not an assistant anymore. I was like, you know, you were a lot more quotable before you started wearing pocket squares. You know, you see people where you remember where they were. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, a couple of years later, the guy who was the really hot coach is now at a school where, uh, you know, he probably never thought he was going to be. And it's and the opposite. Two years, two years ago, this guy was a small school guy. Now everybody wants to go buy him a beer kind of thing. And that's that's a unique, you know, unique feel about the, about the place as everywhere you go. You know, you'd see a lot of head coaches. I mean, I saw Dabo and I saw you know, his right-hand man, Coach McCorvey, all over the place. I mean, they were prominent. I don't think Nick Saban was there. Um, but I think I was told they had the best turnout at the coach head coaches meeting that they've ever had. I want to say it was like 115 of the 120-some-odd were there, which is, which is quite a bit. It seems like the NCAA is constantly pushing through legislation that either the, somehow catches the coaches off guard. I, I don't think the AFCA does a good enough job of kind of being an active participant in – the discussions or they are, but they're not in tune with what their actual constituents think. I mean, I did a big story a few years ago when they, the NCAA basically deregulated all of recruiting very briefly. They passed all these rules that basically said you can text, call whenever mm-hmm. you want. You can send these kids all the fat heads they want of themselves. You can, uh, and, and coaches were just so caught off guard and they were furious. Urban Meyer in particular um, kind of led the charge back against that. So at that time, it was like, well, we got to get the AFCA more involved in this. And then they turn around and, and enact a June signing date. But it sounds like the 10th assistant's going to happen. 
and I assume they'll roll back that June signing date if the coaches are against it. Well, some of the things also that is pushing, you know, like when does the 10th assistant happen? Will it actually go into effect in in August? The people weren't really clear on some of that timetable stuff. So, and there was certainly a lot of chatter going on about jobs and, you know, the Cal vacancy, obviously it was a relatively hot topic as were some of these coordinator moves that were going on. What's what I always think is interesting is, you know, if you know coaches, you know, some certain guys pretty well, they'll talk stuff matter of factly. And it's like, uh, I'd like to report that, but I know I'm really not supposed to or whatever. And those kinds of things tend to go on where it's like, it's much less cloak and dagger or secrets there where people are just talking it out in the open or so. You know, like so a, why do they why are they okay saying that stuff in front of a reporter? Um cuz I I don't really think that at that point it's almost like you know it's it's weird because you're like is this stuff already out there or not? Like uh I went to dinner with some of the Duke guys I know and went to a Jacob Peeler I'd always heard good things about. He was he was on Cal staff, really good recruiter. I knew he was interviewing for the Ole Miss job and so he was with us at dinner. And I wasn't sure or not if he was already the guy, you know, like if it was not, I knew he already got hired. I was just like, is this out? Is it not out? You know, it's just because when you're in the middle of that, I'm, it's not like I am now where I'm like on Twitter a lot or I'm, you know, it's like, it's basically on my laptops open. You know, when you're out hustling around, you know, you're not checking your phone every, every five minutes to see if something's breaking or whatever. So you just, sometimes you just don't know. So there have been some curious offensive coordinator movements just here in the last few days. And I want to start with Rhett Lashley, who's been working with Gus Malzahn since I mean, he played for Gus Malzahn. It seems like he's been connected with him almost his whole career. All of a sudden, he's going to UConn, which would sure seem like a downward move. Yeah, this didn't happen all like, you know, because I had heard about it for a few days that Auburn was looking at other guys for the offensive coordinator. So earlier in the day. Uh, when I was still there, somebody had told me this is definitely happening and he's going to UConn. And then it was a matter of, you know, making sure that it was set. I mean, I think I, the timing was good for me just as a reporter where I was able to confirm it when my plane landed, like my stopover in, uh, in Dallas. So I was able to go with it then. Um, but I think this is a chance where certainly at U, for UConn, Randy Etzel needs somebody to shake up the offense. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, he knows the AD because the AD used to work at Auburn. Um, from the from the Auburn side, Gus Malzahn felt like, you know, remember, he was on the hot seat. Gus needed to make some change, you know, at some point. And this was the alternative of it. And I think, you know, in the end, it seems to seems like it is a positive for 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 both sides, although Rhett's getting a three year deal probably for a lot for certainly a lot, a lot less money. And now. You know, I'd heard Chip Lindsey from ASU was one of the names considered. I've heard a lot of different options that are up for for uh, for for Gus Malzahn. One of the names I had also heard was Doug Meacham. Well, Doug Meacham didn't wait. He took the Kansas offensive coordinator job, which was a big head scratcher for a lot of people, myself included. I didn't. It see is that a big head scratcher because when TCU almost made the playoff a couple years ago. And Trevon Boykin turned into a Heisman candidate. All we heard about was Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie. Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie. They came in. They revolutionized things. And now here we are a couple years later after one, you know, mediocre season. And he's leaving and not just leaving, but leaving for 
you know, a program that has been at the absolute bottom of the power five. Yeah. And I, I think that what goes into it was after a while, that combination, somebody was going to have to take a back seat. And I think in this case, it sounds like Gary Patterson was leaning towards from what I heard, uh, Sonny Cumbie and Sonny Cumbie had a little more political juice with this in this regard, or a little more, um, leverage. And that was the direction TCU was going to go. And it wasn't like TCU had a great year this year by any stretch. I mean, you know, no, they didn't. You know, so I think that factor. I don't think Kenny it. Hill came along like people thought he might. No, so that's the that's the move. And you know, again, if I'm if I'm David Beatty, I'm elated that I got this guy. Who, by the way, knows the Big Twelve really well. Um, you know, he, he two years ago he easily could have been a head coach at, the, at that point at that place, maybe even too. So, um, yeah, it's just crazy how quickly these things turn now. One of the most notable OC hires recently is obviously Ohio State went out and got Kevin Wilson, the former Indiana coach, Oklahoma offensive coordinator, uh, you know, coached Heisen winners and Jason White and Sam Bradford. And, you know, I, I think all in all, if we're just talking X's and O's, everybody would agree, absolute home run hire. What I'm not hearing too much of is, well, wait a minute. How does he get away with hiring a guy who just got fired with allegations of player mistreatment? Because I think Urban Meyer is not going to worry about the chatter or whatever it was. And I think the the allegations, I'm not sure how far along they went with them. Remember, the AD stopped short of talking about it at all. You know, clearly something led to the, them making the move they did, but... You know, how much of that was substantiated to the point where it, it would change Ohio State's, you know, thinking on him? And that's a right. question. So. Well, uh, he, you know, he hasn't had any sort of press conference yet or anything to answer those questions. But, you know, I think it's the kind of thing where if a less notable coach hired him, maybe there'd be more questions. But when it's Urban Meyer or if it had been Nick Saban, they have such cachet. I think it's, a, I think it's a little over it. I think it's a little of the opposite. I think if it was, let's say he went to NC State, you know, Kevin Wilson, I think is a North Carolina guy. If he went to NC State or something like that, I'm not sure it would have gotten as much attention at all. The fact that he went to Ohio State that creates more of a of a wow factor. The part that I think where it what I think you're saying is Urban Meyer, I don't think will get questioned internally by his bosses about it the way that somebody else would if they were trying to hire Kevin Wilson as as to how his exit from Indiana went. So I think internally it's different. It's ramped up. It's ramped up to more significance externally. um, I think Urban Meyer hire him. I don't know. I'm curious to see if he does face more questions, you know, at his, you know, I, I imagine the next time he probably talks won't be till his signing day press conference. And as you well know, when he goes in front of the Ohio State media, they're going to want to talk about about a million different things with him. Well, I think one area where he's uh, benefiting here, Urban, is that the details have never really come out. You know, there have been like small inklings of what happened, but it's never fully come out what exactly he was fired for. And the reason I bring this up is, you know, the scrutiny, at least to this point, isn't anywhere near when... Tim Beckman showed up as a volunteer assistant or whatever he was at North Carolina and people just freaked out. It just <laughs> seems like a completely different um, standard that's being held here. And this is within the same conference. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 certainly ramps it up. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, we're talking about that. You know, I don't know because of Lane Kiffin and because of the title game. We didn't talk much about Kendall Bryles landing at FAU, but also now we've seen uh, Arizona State uh, just on Wednesday had hired Phil Bennett from Baylor as its new defensive coordinator. Um, you know, we're starting to see starting starting to see people hire Baylor guys now. Uh, you know, I saw my Twitter feed, and this did not get much attention. You know, this wasn't on my radar at all, but. Uh, Texas had hired a quality control special teams guy, uh, Casey Horney uh, is his name, who had been at Baylor. And I guess his Twitter feed had a lot of the same stuff of, you know, the truth don't lie things. And that had caught a lot of people on the Texas beats attention. And that has gotten, you know, it seems like in Texas around in, in the, on the Texas beat, that has blown up into a very uh, interesting story right now. There was no fan base that had more indignation about the Baylor scandal than Texas, and we know that. And so, yeah, I mean, for them to turn around and, and hire somebody that was there at the time uh, would seem a bit hypocritical. But obviously Tom Herman wasn't there before, and, you know, I think that that Pepper Hamilton report was vague enough. It mentioned staff, staff, staff. It never mentioned individual names that – a school can justify saying, well, we, for as far as we know, we've vetted it and these guys didn't do anything wrong. So uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like because there was some feeling that those assistants would be blackballed. I think once Kiffin hired Kendall Bryles, then suddenly that made it less taboo for other people to hire other Baylor assistants. The only distinction I think here, and look, I'm just getting caught up on the reporting on this, and it's coming from Texas media people is people are kind of seem to be holding him accountable to comments he had made on on Twitter, not just the truth don't lie and some of the things the other coaches had, but a few other comments I guess he had made. And so uh, I'm curious as if this is going to gain traction. Brenda Tracy, who, as we've discussed her a couple of times before, is a big advocate, and she has really, you know, she's been tweeting and retweeting stuff at Tom Herman, I wonder how long, you know, will this go away eventually or is this something that's going to, you know, something that's that he's going to end up addressing and, you know, more in a, uh, you know, at some point. I guess the question is, is how much is he willing to go to bat for a quality control guy? Yeah, that's a guy I think he's known for years. I think that I believe that he may have known him back dating back to the time when he, he himself was a graduate. Assistant. That may be true, but it seems like uh, it seems like a lot, you know. I don't sure you want to you want to take that stand over somebody who would seemingly be pretty easy to replace. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I mean, you know, right now we have a couple of weeks before signing day. And again, as we said, as it relates to, you know, press conference with hiring people, you usually don't get press conferences with coaches. The first time you would get it would be on national signing day. He did. Tom Herman did do a press conference last week, but I think it was before this hiring. What do you say we do emails? All right, let's get back into it since we've already started a few with a few. All right, hit it up, Rob. It's the mailbag from a computer. So not literally a bag, but just mail. All right, as always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. I can't say that enough because we do still get tweets and emails saying, where do I send them to? Theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Um... All right, here's some very timely news. This morning that we're recording this, the 
the very uh, stunning news that the San Diego Chargers are moving to L.A., where I, I guess people, what do you think? Are people, you're in L.A., are people just like riled up with excitement about yet another NFL team coming to town? No, not really. I, I think the one way it, you notice it affects you is when you turn on a, turn on your TV on Sunday and you're hoping to see a certain big game, and then you instead see one of the local teams that's like 2-7. and seven. Yeah, now it's going to be both AFC and NFC, so have fun. Yeah, you know, I don't know if that makes people more inclined to go buy, you know, NFL Sunday ticket or go to sports bars. I don't know how that's going to play out. I mean, in my case, because of, you know, my own, you know, work with college football, I don't get a chance to really watch much NFL until the Sunday night game anyway. But as somebody who knows a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans out here. Mm -hmm. Somebody tweeted that there are probably more. Even though, you know, Southern California, there are probably more Cowboys fans in L.A. than Chargers fans. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I remember the Cowboys also have training camp out here, too. The whole thing is just so weird from the logo that's basically a ripoff of the Dodgers logo to the fact that they're going to be playing in a 30,000 seat stadium for the first couple of years. An NFL team in a 30,000. I mean, that's like, uh, you know, small, you know, smaller conference college football crowd. Uh, Speaking of which, Scott Butler is all fired up about his team in San Diego. The Chargers finally leaving San Diego and a path cleared for San Diego State Campus West and our new on-campus stadium. What does this mean for San Diego State? Do you believe San Diego State will become the best group of five program? Well, you know, Rocky Long's done a really good job there. I mean, they played really good defense. You know, they had a little bit of stumbles down the stretch. They are the two-time mountain defending Mountain West champs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so... But they haven't gotten a lot of fan support playing in that stadium. So he raises a good point between moving on campus and now there's no NFL team in town. Does the city of San Diego rally around their college football program? Or, and I kind of think cynically this is going to be more the case, because they're not in a major conference they're not really going to be able to capitalize on that. Yeah, and I think the key is, do a lot of people grow up down there if they were football fans or were they USC or UCLA fans? I don't, I don't know what the, you know, what I haven't spent enough time down there socially to know really how, how big of a pull those all are. But Well, I think that uh, there's a lot of USC and UCLA fans there, and San Diego State has a loyal following, I mean, they actually have a rabid basketball following. Uh, football, you know, hard to say. But, you know, the question is, if you're a Chargers fan and your team's no longer there, do you start going to San Diego State games? Or are these people just going to drive to L.A. and keep supporting the Chargers? Yeah, my guess is it won't be the latter. But, you know, we'll see how it, how that goes. I, I'm... You know, I, I think as I read that question, I'm like, you know what? This is a place where you have a ton of recruits in Southern California. USC and UCLA can't take them all. You know, if they're committed to it, they obviously, you know, Rocky Long's done a good job. But why shouldn't San Diego State be one of the three best group of five programs? Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, if you if with the right support, why not become? When they already basically have you know, at least on this two-year basis, past Boise State in that conference. So why can't they kind of have a Boise State type thing where they are, you know, treated like a power conference team in in the city that they're in? Um, you want to read the next one? Sure. The next one comes from Brian and Madison. 
Stuart, in your podcast, Bruce and Ralph joked about Paul, Chris, and the Badgers' propensity to be annually underrated. Given that over the last three years, only Alabama, Clemson, Florida State, and Ohio State have won more games, what is it about Wisconsin that allows them to fly under the radar when discussing the most consistently successful programs in the country? Good question. You know, Wisconsin's never, uh, from what I can remember, since the Barry Alvarez kind of, you know, rebuilt them 20 years ago, never really had a down period. Always are in contention to win nine, ten games. You know, we're not that far removed from Brett Bielema winning uh, three straight Big Ten titles there. And I'm looking at it now. If you go back to 2009, 10-3, 11-2, 11-3. I forgot about this. 8-6, 9-4 in 2013, and then 11-3, 10-3, I think a couple reasons. Um, you know, they're seen as a blue-collar team. They often don't have a lot of star power. Certainly Melvin Gordon recently was an exception to that. Uh, I think that... They're always in the Big Ten going to be overshadowed by Ohio State and Michigan because those are more glamorous programs who recruit at a higher level. And then the only thing, you know, this is a program that has won Rose Bowls and Big Ten championships and finished in the top ten. What is the one uh, milestone that they have not achieved is the one Clemson just did, have not played for a national title. And I think with that being the case, when the preseason polls come out and you're talking about teams that can reach the playoff and win the national title, um, then there's going to be a tendency to dismiss them. Am I wrong? No, I think that's all, you know, I would agree with all of that. I would agree also, you know, it, with, the, with the exception of Russell Wilson, who is a grad transfer, it's not like you've had a run of high profile quarterbacks there. Uh, so I think that adds into the media, you know, reluctance to get on board. Who do you consider to be the most wisconsin quarterback of wisconsin recent history uh jim sorge is the first one that came to mind for me john stocko you know I, I mean they've had good players obviously jj watt turned out to be a fantastic player chris borland was a great mm -hmm. player they had some great players on this team you know i think um several of those guys, defenders will probably go on to play in the nfl you know, i've had good running backs lots of good linemen jared aberderis great receiver i think one of the things that happens into it and i'd be curious your thoughts on it because i feel like you know we've talked about the star system before wisconsin is almost never ranked in the top 20 or top 15 in the team rankings and people usually, my for some of my friends and one of my buddies who you know who's in the quote recruiting business, you know they refer to talent like it's 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 you know the equal sign to recruiting stars. And I get why there's the why there's some overlap there, but that's not always how it works. Just for instance, in 2005, uh, I see Purdue crack the top 25 and some other schools, and I'm looking at it, and I have to go down to 31st to find Wisconsin. No, they're there, but it's the same with it was the same for Michigan State, and I do feel like Michigan State, which, or before this past season, kind of reached another level that Wisconsin quite hasn't in perception wise because they made the playoff. And by the way, <laughs> talk about arbitrary distinctions. Wisconsin had uh, a couple teams. The Russell, no, not the Russell Wilson team. The team that played TCU in the Rose Bowl, I believe, was eleven and one or twelve and eleven and one. They had teams that if there were a fourteen playoff, probably would have made it. But they did it at the wrong time. And then Michigan State has their one-loss season and does make the playoff. And even though 
they lost, you know, got killed by Alabama, I think that was a that was a validation. Like, hey, Michigan State can can reach the absolute pinnacle of the sport. Yeah, so, I, th- I mean, I think what happens is when you have a lot of recruiting classes that are not ranked in the top 30, you know, people use that. I don't know if they use that against you. Here's an example. 2011, ranked 37th, one spot above Kentucky, two spots above Illinois. And yet they beat LSU. They beat Auburn. They, they beat these teams that are in the top 10 of the recruiting rankings regularly. Another part of this that, that is kind of intriguing to me is you, you see some guys who, as coaches, may not be that well recognized. And then they get to Wisconsin and you're like, oh, yeah, that guy is a really good coach. I mean, USC is a great example of this. USC fans do not exactly get get like light up when they hear the name Justin Wilcox. Justin Wilcox went there and totally, I don't say he reinvented himself because I don't know how much he changed about himself, but he did such a good job that you had to go, you had to give him credit, which, you know, at USC, they struggle for whatever reason. And, you know, Dave Aranda became a star coach. He became a superstar at LSU, but he became a star coach at Wisconsin. And we're seeing that, you know, I uh, Paul Chris to me did one of the, at least 10, if not five best jobs of anyone considering, you know, what they had to work with and the schedule they had to deal with coming out of the gate. It's unfortunate, really, that they drew Western Michigan, you know, because people are going to dismiss that. Uh, Yes, they got a New Year's Six Bowl win, but it was against a MAC team. You know, if they'd had a chance to play USC or or Florida State or somebody like that and win the game, uh, it would really ramp up the respect level heading into next season. Well, we've been talking a lot about like whether the, where the Clemson-Alabama game ranks. And even before that, you remember the podcast we did with Ralph on the balcony? We kind of tried off the top of our head to name the top five best games. And a couple people had nominations. Ryan in Houston uh, wanted to bring up the 2012 Georgia-Alabama SEC championship game, which was a playing game to, the, to play Notre Dame. And I was there. That was a very good game. Uh, with a very dramatic ending with the C.J. Mosley um, deflecting the pass to Chris Conley. But top five of all time, what was our, we were saying top five of our our era, maybe? We were talking about Boise State, Oklahoma, uh, the Bush-Push game came up. Are we talking the last 20 years? I think we did. Because the other person brought up Catholics versus convicts, and that was in 1988. Yeah. Um... You know, I think, I mean, first of all, you're always going to swing toward national championship games because of the stakes. So that's why our list included a few of those, Miami, Ohio State being another one. Uh, but also, I was at that George Alabama. It was a great game, no question. I think it's a little more intriguing, though, when it's an intersectional game, when it's not two teams from the same conference. Right, so like Boise State, Oklahoma... Right, that was a very exotic matchup. Yes, that's true. That was a conference game. That was a that was a perfect storm, right? You know, the the, the rivalry, the the scandal that was going on with Cam Newton, and then obviously you know the comeback and them being able to go to the national championship game. Same with the kick six game, like that had everything going for it. By the way, I was listening to Feinbaum the other day or Wednesday. And man, you would think Auburn won the national championship. Those fans are so happy right now that Alabama lost. In fact, didn't they roll Tumor's Corner? Some people did. Yeah, I think so much of it has to do with probably just, and this is not a knock on Nick Saban or anything, but I think just a feeling Alabama overkill. I mean, because they've had such a such an epic run 
you know, any kind of like, okay, they're not infallible, dial it back media. And I think what you get is a lot of people who just kind of recoil to the media reaction to everything. That may be true nationally, but I think in, in at Auburn in the Iron Bowl, I mean, <laughs> this could have been their first national championship game. They would still be that excited that they, not just that they lost, I'm sure a major reason they're so excited is the way they lost. Like, they are taking such glee in the fact that Alabama lost with one second left. And then and Kiffin and all that stuff. So, um, all right. Good good email. Uh, good email section. Thanks, guys. As always, you can send them to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Anything else before we sign off? No, we'll get back to it on Monday, and maybe we'll have a guest for you. We'll, we'll uh, yeah. I mean, I can't believe the offseason is upon us, and we will uh, – we will uh, start getting into a more regular schedule at some point. Obviously, travel the last couple of weeks has affected that. So, as always, subscribe to The Audible if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next time.